Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. We're on week 11 of this journey through the book of Ephesians. And I'm, I'm so appreciative of Pastor Jared's message last week on chapter 3. If you missed it, you need to go back and listen to it. He talked about uh, Paul and how he suffered well for the gospel. And it was a great message and really brought out some of the historical setting of, of what was going on in the world at the time. And, and, and more specifically, what Paul was going through as he wrote this letter. It, it's so important to not only understand, I, I want you to get this, it's so important to not only understand the literary context of Scripture, but also the cultural context at the time in which the Word of God was written. And we know it was written over a 1,600-year time span, and so there was different things going on in the world. How many know the world's different today than it was 20 years ago? The Bible was written over 1,600 years. And so you got to dive in and sometimes dig out some of that cultural setting, that cultural context, if you will, just to really understand the true meaning of what's going on. And it just, it just brings light to the Word of God, which is great. It's amazing um, when you ask the questions, when was this written, what was going on at the time, and, was, and who was it written to specifically, as in who heard it first? Paul, of course, was uh, the church planner who started the church in Ephesians, or in, in Ephesus, and Ephesians is the letter he wrote to them. And uh, although it's applicable to all the church everywhere throughout the centuries, it was first written to them, and that's important as we go through it. And as we've, been studying, as we've been studying this letter in reference to the subject of unity, unity can be defined as oneness. One, one, one of, uh, oneness with Jesus, and, and one of Jesus' last prayers was in, in reference to his followers. He prayed, Father, make them one even as you and I are one. And I know I've said that a lot of times in the last 11 weeks, but we're going somewhere with this, and, and you need to just keep following along and trusting us. Um, how many are tired of Ephesians? Okay, I don't see anybody yet. Good. Like, what would happen if you raised your hand? I don't know. We would, we would all point the finger at you and go, how dare you? you know? <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's, it's laborious sometimes to go through like this, but when you dig out the gold, it's worth it. It's worth it. So we've spent a lot of time in chapter one and, and, and two and talked about the unity within our relationships, be it church family, spousal relationships, parent-child relationships, all unity. This is what we talked about, all unity. We didn't get into those specifically, but all unity starts with our personal unity with Christ. And, and only when the branch of our life is plugged into the true vine of Jesus Christ are we able to obtain unity or oneness in all of our other relationships. And so we spent a lot of time in chapter one and then a couple of weeks ago, we began talking, moving away from that and talking about unity in the body of Christ. And we're just following the letter as we go through here. Um, unity between one another as believers and followers of Jesus. This is the unity we're on now. Unity in the body of Christ. And uh, you can throw up that, that uh, uh, picture there quick of our outline. This is where we're currently at. Um, unity in the body of Christ. We have all, the, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We all have the same issue, right? What was that issue? Sin. We all need God's answer. Jesus. And we are all offered the same privilege, right? We're family. We get to be a part of this great thing called the church, the body of Christ. And we're going to move on today. That's where we're going to pick it up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We're already to chapter 4. Isn't that great? 
You're like, let Pastor Jared preach more often. He gets through a whole chapter in one sermon. Um, well, we're going to get through five verses today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, 1, Therefore I, a prisoner, for, uh, for serving the Lord, and, and Pastor Jared talked about that a lot last week, Paul says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, everybody say the word beg, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called of God. You have been called of God. You, you, all you up there, and all you out there in internet land, where, isn't that what Pastor Donnie called it? All of you out there, you're all called. And that's point one. We are all called. We are all called. I've said it so many times that I feel like a broken record. If you don't know what a record is, ask your grandma or grandpa. <laughs> and what a broken one sounds like. If you don't know, just ask them. But every single one of you were created for a specific purpose. God has perfectly designed you to fulfill that calling, that purpose in your life. He designed you. And when you think of the ramifications of what that means, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week. He designed us. He called us. We have a specific calling in our lives. When you think about those ramifications, the first thing that comes to mind is you are not an accident. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not an accident. <laughs> Just have to tell it to somebody. I do this a lot because I think you, that's when you start believing it. Don't take my word for it. Take it from your neighbor. You are not an accident. It doesn't take that long to say that, so I don't know why you're still talking, but whatever. You're not an accident. You are not the product of some series of random processes that occurred over billions of years. You have not been put on this earth arbitrarily or, or at the mere whim of God. You are designed special. Now you gotta say this to your neighbor, you're special. <laughs> Yeah. I want you to just think about that for a second because we live in a world where everybody has so many emotional and, and, and mental problems. And, and you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to put anybody down whatsoever. If you take medication, I get it. Talk to your doctor, stay with your medication, whatever. But I've never in my mind believed that we could ever get this far to where everybody was on something. I was at camp one year, and this is years ago, and I, I was part of the, the, the serving crew. I was serving up some food. And the nurse, the camp nurse was next to me, and she was handing out medication as if it was one of the items on the buffet. And I, I'm, not, I'm not dissing anybody, because that was doctor-prescribed stuff for all these kids. We have so many issues, and we have so many people. I mean, suicide rates are off the charts. We have real issues. I'm not downplaying the issues. I'm not saying they're fake. They're there. But when I think about this, that you are not an accident, that God made you for a specific purpose, I think that touches that issue just a little bit. You're not here for, for no reason at all. You were put on this earth for a very specific purpose. 
And you have a calling. That's what that means. You have a specific calling. I, I've said it before. You're not here just to suck air. You know, you're not an accident. Church, can you understand that today? In a world where there's such a low, so many people with so, many low, with so much low self-esteem realize that you are not an accident. You're somebody special. You're designed, intentionally designed. God does everything purposefully, and as you, as, you, as, as one of his highest creations, you're the only one, uh, humans, we're the only ones who are, who are said to be created in his image. You're one of his highest creations. You are his highest creation. You've been magnificently designed for a purpose. As the psalmist declares, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I, I thought about that. God, what does that mean to be fearfully made? Have you ever thought about it? I know what wonderful means. But what does it mean to be fearfully made? And I started thinking about it, started looking at that word a little bit. And that word fearfully, uh, it's really interesting. We think of the word fearfully in reference to being scared of something. But obviously God wasn't scared to make us, or, or maybe he was because he knew what we would do with the abilities and gifts he created us with. Some of us. Actually, though, I think, he fear, I think fearfully in this context means something else. There are several meanings of this word when you look at the original Hebrew. One of those definitions says this, and I think it applies here, to cause astonishment and awe, be held in awe. I believe, and hear me, I believe you and I are created with such tender, loving care, such precision, with such purpose in mind that God himself was astonished and in awe as our creator of what he had created. I think another meaning can apply here as well, that we were created with a great amount of respect, reverence, and honor, as if God carefully, almost surgically knit us together within our mothers. Praise God for mothers on Mother's Day, right? I don't know about you, but thinking about that makes it difficult for me to get down on myself. There's not one person in this room that hasn't gone through those feelings of depression at times. And yeah, some of you haven't let it overtake you, and that, praise the Lord, but we've all felt it, haven't we? We've all felt when we looked in the mirror and not loved ourselves. We've all felt those feelings. But it makes it easier to love ourselves and the masterpieces that we are, our self-worth it shouldn't be created through what others say about us or how they treat us. Our self-worth should flow from the absolute truth that the creator of the universe designed us perfectly for the purposes that he has for us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by his hands. I hope you understand that. You are stinking amazing. You are magnificent. You are awesome. You are incredible. You are wonderful. You are respectfully made with honor. God made you, and he stood back, and he's like, wow, look what I did. He did that for each and every one of us.
He created every one of us in this room with respect and honor. Why do you think that the word of God puts an emphasis and importance on honoring our own bodies as well as the, the life of others? Human life, there's an emphasis on honoring and respecting that. We think about even abortion and, and those kinds of issues, and, and I know they've become political, but morally speaking, that is a life that was intentionally designed, that is created wonderfully and perfectly, fearfully, with honor. That's why, biblically, we don't believe in abortion. Life is important. We're to honor that. We're to respect it. And when you start thinking about this, this, this calling, this, this intentionality that God had when he created us, that every one of us has a calling. When you start thinking about that in reference to unity within the body of Christ, within the big C church as well as the local body of believers, like this church family, having the vision to see you and your brothers and sisters in Christ as intentionally designed, purposefully made, incredible creations of God himself. We think that about ourselves, but guess what? It's true of our brothers and sisters. And when you start thinking about that, it might just be a path to shutting down the lies that the enemy whispers in our ears about each other. I don't like that person. That person rubs me the wrong way. I like that church. I'm, I'm glad it's so big so I can sit far away from that other guy. I'm going to go in these doors because I know I'm going to run into this person if I go in that door. I'm going to avoid this activity because I might run into this person. See, within a lot of local bodies, and, and I, I'll just stick there today. We can talk about the big C church too. We could because the same thing applies there. But the small C church, you understand, this body, this family believers, we, we can look around the room and start picking out people we don't like. I wonder if we got real truthful and we put it up on the screen, if we could do that, why you sit where you sit and we go through each person. And I wonder if anybody would have, well, because of this person over here, I don't like them, so I sit over here. You see... That's not unity. That's avoidance, <laughs> right? That's having issues with people that aren't dealt with. Well, I just don't like them. You can't make me like them. You're right. I can't make you like them. But you will love them if you're going to be in this church because I'm the boss here. <laughs> Under Jesus, he's the big boss. I'm just the little boss. I want us to start thinking about for the next few weeks as we go through this, because these are hard things. You talk about getting into the word of God and finding meat. People go, I want the meat, I want the meat, I want the meat. I'm, I'm tired of the, of the, of the bread. I, I need some real meat of the word. Here's the meat. And it's difficult because we're fleshly and we don't like everybody. But we will love each other. When I start thinking about how I am fearfully and wonderfully made and I have a calling, I am called by God for a purpose. That's wonderful. It gives me self-esteem. It makes me feel better. I, I love, but when I think about that for you, then you don't annoy me so much because you're different than me and God did that on purpose because I'm not all that in a bag of chips, right? 
That's a really old thing. I don't know why I said that. I can't be everything to everybody. I can't do all of it, right? You can't do all of it. We need each other. That's right. I mean, do something for me real quick. And I, I'm just being a little crazy today. Don't worry, Liz, it's not that crazy. Turn to somebody, not your spouse, not your family member, and say, I need you. Find somebody. If you got to get up out of your chair, find somebody. I need you. I need you. Come here. Come here. Give me a big hug. Come on. I need you, buddy. We need each other. Well, I can do it all on my own. Well, good for you. Have fun being lonely. And by the way, you can't. We need each other. My calling's not the same as your calling. Your calling's not the same as mine. Your calling's not the same as this person over here. That person's calling's not the same as yours. We're all different. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has called us to all something a little bit different. There's similarities sometimes. And he's called us to be a body. He's called us to be in agreement. He's called us to be one for the purpose of building his kingdom in this place at this time. And I'm telling you people, when the church will ref refuses, when the church refuses to walk in that oneness and unity because of differences, rather than, 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 than celebrate those differences, I'm not talking about sin issues here, differences in calling, celebrate those things. Nothing gets done. The church spins its wheels. And the world doesn't hear the gospel. Unity is so key to this. Somebody else's calling is not, is not just like yours, but it's equally as important. Let me say this, the person who's called to clean the toilets around here uh, has the same equal value as, as the person who preaches from the pulpit. Your calling may even seem to be more prevalent within the body of Christ than somebody else's. Maybe it's more public. But your calling isn't any more important than theirs. It takes everyone fulfilling their God-given calling, their purpose to make the body of Christ function properly. You know, um, this, is, this is really uh, illustrated when our physical bodies become injured. The healthy parts often sometimes try to compensate for the injured part. Have you ever heard of something like that? I had this with my left leg. I twisted something in my back, which pulled down my leg. My, my, my right leg then began to work hard, too hard. It was trying to compensate, and it affected my right knee. So I had a back problem causing my left leg issues. My right knee, or my right leg tried to compensate, and then my knee started having problems in my right leg. Anybody ever have anything like that happen? It's crazy, isn't it? And so I had to get some physical therapy, and they had to put some, some, some this weird kinetic tape or something. It pulled my, my, my muscle, my leg over, so that all my, my muscles would start. I had to do a bunch of exercises, too, to start getting all my muscles to fire on this leg so that my knee would work and it wouldn't hurt. And when that, when, that was, when that was done, then I had to get, you know, I, had, I, I was doing that, but I was also getting my back put in because I didn't want my 
left leg to do the same things it did before causing my right knee. You understand what I'm saying? It was like a domino effect with my muscles and my legs, and it, and it, and it limited me. It limited me. And likewise, when the member of the body of Christ isn't fulfilling their purpose, other parts will suffer as they try to make up the difference. And as it continues to affect throughout the body, the domino effect, the body becomes limited in what they can do. Same thing. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, we've already covered this, but God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself, have to, uh, have to make up the difference which could uh, cause them to, I'm sorry, uh, who fills all things everywhere with himself. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, I gotta jump there. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole, or make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 continues, it goes on and on about the analogy of this through the rest of the chapter, all the way through verse 31. And by the way, that would be a great scripture to read and, and meditate on this week in regards to what we're discussing today. What, what does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? What's my calling? Am I fulfilling it within the body of Christ? Am I doing my part? You know, in a family, everybody should have a part and everybody needs to be doing their part. In a church, everybody should have a part and everybody should be doing their part. Well, that's time commitment, yep. That's commitment to one another. Yep. But I don't like everybody. So? You think I like all of you? <laughs> Do you think that I am some, some kind of false reality where I think all of you like me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I am. <laughs> I am in a false reality, right? <laughs> I get it. It's okay. But we have to love one another. That's the point. It comes down to we absolutely need each other. We need to learn even to depend on one another. The big C church is the body of Christ. And in that sense, all true followers of Christ are in that one body. The local church is the body of Christ. And in that sense, all of us here today in this place who are true followers of Christ are members of this body you're unified, you're a unified family here in this church. And your family within your homes, that's even a more intimate grouping and example of the body of Christ. But we will get into that in a few weeks. In this setting, we are the body of Christ. And as I said, we need one another and we will never need one another, truly depend on one another until we appreciate one another and the specific callings that God has intentionally designed us with. And I could go through this room. I'm, I'm pretty good at seeing gifts in people. And, and not just exploiting what they can do. It's not that. The gifts. I'm not going to go through the whole room and start pointing out gifts. And then we can, let's just take inventory to see how much you're using that gift within the body. But the calling, the gift, the unique personality... 
I, I, I wasn't going to do this. I feel led to. I see Darwin back there. Darwin, can you wave your hand? I've, st- I've, just, I've kind of tripped over my words three times in reference to you this morning as I'm preaching about gifts and callings. That is a man who's called in prophetic things. I've seen it. It's awesome. It doesn't mean he's perfect. Is he perfect? His wife says no. Okay. Big surprise. But to have that gift is a, what a gift to the church. To be able to see things and hear things from God specifically for individuals in the body. And everyone's going to run to you. You're going to have a line to you. And they're going to say, what? No, it's not dial Mr. Miss Cleo or, or dial Mr. Darwin. It's not that, all right? It's, it's not fortune telling. It's not that. But words from the Lord for the church? Wow. You know, those people who have the gift of discernment in this, in this place. They, they can sniff out something a mile away. It's a gift of discernment. Do you know in the last days that that's going to be one of the most important gifts we could ever have in the church? And we better start acknowledging it, and we better start using it. Because many will come in my name. Some will even perform miracles, claiming that they are the one, and they have the truth, and they can speak the truth. Give me those sniffer-outers. Is that a gift? Gift of discernment. The discerning of spirits. Is that God or isn't it? There's so many gifts. There's so many callings within the church. And God has beautifully distributed them all so that we could function in a healthy way, in a beautiful way. We absolutely need each other. Let's move on to verse 2. I could talk about verse 1 all day. We are all called, right? Number 2. Ephesians 4, 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Let me read that again. Always be humble and gentle. And when you feel like it, be a little bit humble and try to be gentle when you can be. Always be humble. Always be gentle. I mean, when you're going through scripture like this, you just stop and you, co- and you color that in with a highlighter, you circle it, and you go, oh Lord, i got to pray on that one for the next month and a half, because am I always gentle and am I always humble? <laughs> nope. It says, be patient with one another, with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults? Because of your love. So E, walk in humility. What? We have to be humble and gentle? That's not in my wheelhouse of personality traits. And what? We need to make allowances for one another's faults? We aren't perfect? I thought we were fearfully and wonderfully made. How can we not be perfect if we're fearfully and wonderfully made? I want you to know we are fearfully and wonderfully made, but we also also have this sinful nature, church. That's exactly why we need each other. To lean on each other in our weakness, to encourage one another when we are down or when we are struggling. The word humility in the original Greek is the word, I gotta say this right, tapanafrasune, tapanafrasune. It's a fun word to say. Everybody say it, tapanafrasune. Tapanafrasune. 
It means having a deep sense of your own moral bankruptcy in comparison to God. It's being completely self-aware of how you really are in your heart. Your morality and your ability to be good is very little in comparison with what is purely good and what is completely moral. We are to be humble and gentle with one another. And those that are also members of the body of Christ, this is where it becomes difficult. We work so hard at becoming one with Christ, and that's where our unity begins, but then we need to see the results of that oneness with Christ in progressively becoming one body. We are to have that oneness with each other. Not sameness and uniformity with each other, but agreement and unity or oneness with one another, even though we're different and have different callings. And because we are all human and we consistently have to fight this sinful nature thing and keep it in check, we are to make allowances for each other because we love one another. I mean, I can stand up here and say, how many of you have ever sinned? Everybody raises their hand, right? And then we go, right in the next sentence, how many of you are mad at somebody because they sinned? We all sinned. Well, they didn't sin when I sinned. I sinned, and then I got forgiveness, and then they sinned after me, so now I'm mad at them for sinning. I mean, we do that, don't we? We act childish. If we're all sinners, and we all have faults, and none of us are perfect, then why do we get so mad when somebody else is not perfect? Is that an honest question? Now, if they persist in that sin and they keep going down that road and they don't want to ever change and they demand that they don't have to change, well, that, that's even a deeper issue and it might even reach a point where are they really a child of God or not? I mean, people that don't repent, it's, it's hard to put them in the category of, of the body of Christ or in the family of God if they refuse repentance. They refuse to call sin, sin in their life. But generally speaking, when we step on each other's toes because we had a moment, we had a, we had a, a headbutt situation, we forgive and we move on. That's what we're supposed to do. The question comes up, when do we stop making those allowances of, well, they have faults, and start disciplining as in church discipline? And it's difficult, I'm not going to lie. When a guy in the Corinthian church was sleeping with his father's wife, it wasn't his mom, it was his stepmom, when he started hooking up with her, the church knew what was going on but looked the other way because they didn't want to confront it. It was uncomfortable. But Paul said to them that they should expel a man like this, turn him over to Satan, he says, for the destruction of the flesh. That's harsh. Well, what about putting up with his faults. This was just a fault he had. No, this was unrepentant sin. That's where it goes too far, right? They, Paul basically said, kick him out of church until he hits rock bottom. Maybe then he'll come back and find some restoration. But here we're told in Ephesians 4, verse 2, to make allowances for another's faults. This was more than a fault. Again, it was living in open sin. This was a man flying his sin in everyone's face with no thoughts of repentance. If allowed to continue, his sin would have infected others as well as destroyed the witness of the whole congregation. So there's things like that. These are difficult judgment calls and the very reason you need to be praying for the leadership of your church. We all have callings. 
Some of the people in here have leadership callings. Your board of elders does, your pastoral staff does. Pray for them. That's hard stuff. Can I say pray for me? It's hard stuff. Are you hearing me today? Those are difficult things, and nobody wants to deal with those. As one body with many parts, we must all be prayed up and led by the Holy Spirit in our church body life. That's the only way. It's the only way we can do it is be so prayed up and in the Spirit and in tune, recognizing each other's gifts, celebrating those those callings, those specific callings, putting up with each other's faults as long as it's quickly repented of, giving allowances for that. And then Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. I just said that, didn't I? Flow in the Spirit. Be led of the Spirit. Keep yourselves united together as a body in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that's talking about. But binding yourselves together with peace. And so the next, the, next, uh, uh, the next point is stay united in the Spirit. As believers and submitted followers of Jesus Christ who have the deposit of the Holy Spirit within us who who also have the abundance or or the submersion or the baptism of the Holy Spirit consistently available to fill us daily, we can stay united. We can walk in oneness. Do you realize how hard it is to stay in the Spirit all week long? When you go to work, is it hard to stay in the Spirit? Is it hard to stay in tune with the Spirit uh, when you're driving in traffic and the traffic is, um, the people driving the other cars are, um, is it hard to stay in the Spirit when you go through a drive through and I'm done. I'm not gonna. I, my mom used to say, "If you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all." So, is it hard to stay in the spirit when you open your mail and you find out your taxes went up a whole bunch? Is it hard to stay in the spirit when someone invades your territory at church, like they're sitting in your pew or they're taking your spot? Is it hard to stay in the spirit when your neighbor walks his dog and they let them do their, his, the dog's business in your yard? Well, it's the prettiest yard in town. I, I, that's why we want all the animals to come and know. Is it hard to stay in the spirit in day-to-day life? It absolutely is. But we're called to do it. How easy it is to slip out of that. Some of you, tomorrow morning when the, when the alarm goes off and you get up to go to work or go to school, you're going to be like, you're not in the spirit in the first few minutes of that. You're smashing the alarm clock. Mad that Mother's Day is over. And now you've got to wait 365 more days till you're appreciated again. Right? How many have employees Raise your hand high if you have employees. You own a business, you have employees. Are employees, do they help you stay in the spirit? <laughs> How many have a boss? 
You're welcome. We'll go at it from all sides here. Does your boss make it easier for you to walk in the spirit? We're called to stay in the spirit. This Holy Spirit is not a he, it's not an, it, it, he is a he, he's not an it. He is God and he will not let you will not tell you one thing that's not true. He's not going to tell you one thing and somebody in the body of Christ is something totally different. He will, as Jesus said, lead us into all truth. He doesn't play manipulative games through our emotions like some people do. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and I'm sorry if this is a weird message, but if you ever experienced someone who is like, I'm going to tell this person what I know and I'm going to adjust my words and, and massage them in such a way that it will produce a reaction in them, the reaction that I want them to have. And then they go over here and they say the same story, but they massage it just a little bit differently so they get a reaction out of that person that's different and might even be cause these two people to, it's kind of a triangulate thing, but cause these two people to, to get mad at each other. You ever see that happen? That person is called Satan. I'm sorry. That person could be being used of Satan. That is a devilish trick, manipulative trick. But I would just venture to say that there's a lot of us in here who might have fallen into that accidentally. That's not how you stay unified in the spirit. The Holy Spirit does not play manipulative games like that. They don't, they don't play chess with, he doesn't play chess with your life, right? That's what, that's what the devil does. If I do this, then you'll do this, and I'll make you do this, and then you do this. It takes discernment, it takes both people properly discerning what God is saying when the Spirit's speaking the same thing to everybody. It's amazing how many times another follower of Christ has confirmed what God was saying to me. And I'm, I'm talking about how the Holy Spirit speaks to you, speaks to you, speaks to you, speaks to you, and he speaks all with the same voice. Have you ever had a confirmation? I have. And then it says in verse 3, "...binding yourselves together with peace." That word peace in the original Greek means security, safety, prosperity, felicity, which is intense happiness. That's what that word means. And harmony. Doesn't that sound wonderful? That's, church, that's what church life, that's what body life, done properly, that's what it brings. Security, safety, prosperity, felicity, and harmony. That, that pretty much covers everything people want in this life. The problem is we don't fight hard enough for unity amongst each other. It is so much easier to hold on to our little thing than to work it out than to confront something. Have you ever gone up to somebody and say, you know, I'm, are, are you upset with me? And they'll be like, no, I'm not upset with you. Okay, I just wanted to know. I just, I just wanted to stop the devil. Maybe we ought to get good at language like that. Just walk up to somebody and say, Devin, you know, uh, this, is, this isn't real, but Devin, 
are you angry with me? He's like, well, no, why would I be angry with you? <laughs> okay, I, I just need to make sure because the devil's really good at vain imaginations and he popped one in my head and I needed to shut it down before it took root. Everybody could say that, couldn't they? He's a masterful liar. Masterful at those vain imaginations. I, did rem- I do remember someone one time coming up to me and saying, are you mad at me, Pastor Barry? And I said, no. And they said, well, I've been very upset with you for three years because I'm like, why? Because I thought you were mad at me. Like, why did you think I, why did you think, why did you think I was mad at you? Because three years ago, you walked through the foyer on Sunday morning and you walked right by me and you didn't say hi. And I said, now I'm mad at you. <laughs> True story. You went three years not saying anything, letting the devil make you think that I was mad at you? I had no idea. This is where body life becomes hard because you have to step out in faith, put yourself out there, be a little vulnerable, and say, what you need to say sometimes. What often happens in the local church is when the problem arises between two individuals within that local body, anger, frustration, unforgiveness rules the day. If we could get a true vision of the true value of unity, it would prompt us not only to walk in gentleness and humility, giving allowances for one another's faults, but it would keep us always in the ready to be, to be and stay united in the spirit together with that person. I'm telling you, being united together with someone in the Holy Spirit is more important than you being right It's more important than you coming out on top in an argument. It's more important than you winning the the disagreement. It's, It's just more important than that. Don't cash in unity so that you can be on top. Unity is more important. And that's that that's it, guys. Unity is that important because when unity flows, great things happen in the church. Psalm 133 says, and I've read it a million times to you, I've I've preached on it, it's part of our core values, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil being poured over Aaron's head, down upon his beard, down upon his robe, which, by the way, that's significant of the anointing. Unity is like the anointing. It brings the anointing of God. And then the verse goes on, the the third verse goes on to say, it's, it's, it's like the dew of Hermon, which if you know anything about Mount Hermon and the dew that falls at the foot of it, the fruit is magnificent. So unity brings the anointing and it brings fruit. What more could a church want? We want to be right. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. We cash in unity for the anointing and for fruit. And the church is powerless and the church spins its wheels and nothing ever happens. And I think this church doesn't do that so much, just in general speaking. I want to finish up this morning real quick. Chapter, finish up this portion of scripture, verse four and five. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Amen.
Amen, amen. I think today we should pray for unity. I'm going to pray a prayer over you, over this congregation for unity, that we would stay humble and gentle before the Lord, that we would know our calling, stay humble and gentle before the Lord, uh, even even to the point of, of making allowances for each other's faults. You know, some of you know that I get along with Corey Keller pretty good, but I'm telling you, he's got a lot of faults that I have to make allowances for. Other friends know that too. I'm kidding. He has to make a lot more of those for me than I do him. Allowances. But I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to challenge you this morning. Before you go, I know it's Mother's Day. I don't want the roast to get burned. I don't want the Baptist to beat you to the buffet or the Methodist to, make, to beat you to McDonald's or you know, the, the Presbyterians to beat you to Panera Bread or whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, the Catholics to beat you to uh, Charlotte's, right? So, What's that? Culver's. Culver's, there we go. Culver's. But before you go, I want to challenge you this morning to find someone in this place that you, have, that you don't really know all that well, but you've noticed them. Not like, like oh, I've noticed you. Not like that. <laughs> Just shut that down right now. No creepers, right? But someone you've noticed doing a lot in the church or they do something and you're like, you know what? I've never told that person I appreciate them and what they do. I don't know them very well. I've not had too many conversations with them. But I want you to find a person like that we all have them, before you go today, and I want you to just go up to them and say, you know what, I, I've noticed you've done this, and I just want to tell you I really appreciate it. I, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the first one. Dennis, where are you? He's probably out in the foyer. Dennis, he's in the foyer, and I appreciate him for that because he's always in the foyer making sure things are safe out there, making sure things are good, even though he's, is he on a certain team today? He's on the host team? He's guarding the hallway, okay? He's helping the security out, guarding the hallway. Um, but one thing I saw him do today that was just not something that's part of his team is he had a box, and he, they were full of door stoppers, and he was walking to all the doors putting rubber door stoppers because we had to take all the door kicks off for, fire, for a fire inspection, and now it's really annoying because the doors don't stay open when we want them to, right? Some of you complained about that, but I'm sorry, it's fire code. But he walked around, and he, he was putting these rubber door stops out in the ground, like early this morning, I'm like, thank you, Dennis. And if you can hear me right now, thank you, Dennis. I appreciate you doing that because nobody else would have done it. I didn't tell him to do that. He just did it because it needed to be done. There's, there's stuff like that all over that we do for each other that, that we don't always appreciate one another for. So I want you to, to find somebody this morning and tell them that right after I get done praying. Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for all those that are watching online today. And I thank you, Lord, for every every person that's a part of this church family that couldn't be here today, be it uh, some other activity that they're involved with. But God, I pray today that you would take all of us as a local body, as your body, and that you would bind us together in peace, as the scripture said, that you would help us make allowances for one another's faults, that even though we may not like certain people, we can certainly love and show love towards them.
God, that you would move in our congregation like never before, in, in a way maybe you've never moved before, binding us together in unity. Lord, we want to be the answer to your prayer. Father, make them one just as you and I are one. Lord, we want to be one in you. Individually, absolutely unified to you, Jesus, but together as a body, unified to you and unified to one another. God, I know that's a messy thing, but help us walk in it. Because we know according to your word that the anointing and that fruit will be the result. God, we live in a world that needs you. We need to be kingdom builders. We need this body, this church, to be building the kingdom in just a, an aggressive way. And if God, to reach that, we need to unify and lay down some of those things that keep us disunified. Father, I pray that you would do that for this congregation. And even though that you're sitting there right now, if you, if you agree with that prayer for this church, would you just raise both hands kind of up? You don't have to go too far up, but just raise them up a little bit. God, make us one. In purpose. All the callings that you've deposited in this room, it's absolutely phenomenal what we could do if it all got moving in the, in the, in the same direction without distractions. What you could do for your kingdom through this one body, and you're already doing it, but God, we ask that you would pour gasoline on what you're doing so we could do even more. give you ourselves we say we're yours in Jesus name Amen Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages